This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Um, but more specifically, <laughs> it's a Solar Pal bobblehead of Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> and his hands That's are positioned brilliant. in, like, you know, the little thing that he does where he, like, yes. puts his Jeez. fingers out Jeez, to, Gromit. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, Gromit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's and an I incredible had to, Wallace impression. Thank you. I've been working on it my whole life. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Do Try This at Home. We are approaching the end of Netflix season. I am Caleb, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Harrison. Harrison, how's it going? Uh, it's going. Uh, surviving, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, very grateful, as always, to to have this podcast and to be able to watch crappy movies and <laughs> chat about them with you <laughs> to take my mind off things. We're in our penultimate episode of uh, Netflix season. Wow, can you believe it? Time flies. I, I can't actually believe we got to the end, given how many breaks we've had to take. Just to do Yeah, it. I mean, we got to give ourselves a, a little bit of a, 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 cut ourselves some slack. Do you feel like we're approaching an answer to what the heck is a Netflix original? Yeah, I think we are. I think, um, you know, we, we've been taking a look at lots of different genres. And I think what's kind of interesting about um, this week's choice of Hillbilly Elegy is I think it's, I think it's the choice or the film that we've talked about that has so far that has been the most, I guess, like, I hate to use the term Oscar Beatty, but probably like mm. has the most or had at least up until its release had the like m- most tangible aura of prestige around it. Like this was yeah. one of Netflix's attempts at a prestige film, which I think is not necessarily the case with most of the other films that we've spoken about so far. So I'm I'm yeah. kind of uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of dissecting this and seeing like okay, well now that they've tried to make a movie that like with that kind of prestige and um you know goal of uh, getting accolades and that kind of recognition like how successful were they at just making a, a good film um as opposed to just making something for people to put their eyeballs on on a streaming service yeah it's it's interesting as well though because there's a i guess there's like a number of examples of netflix having a, a go at like having a crack at getting an oscar right and we talked about the trial of chicago 7 at the beginning of the season and but they you know there's the irishman and but like also if you look way back when they first started making films themselves you had uh, beasts of no nation uh, you know like a couple of examples of them like trying to make like prestige cinema as well as making their sort of mid-budget stuff and i think it, what's interesting what i think we'll see is interesting in this is yeah is, is like how how is it this will be different because a lot of what we talk about is is like so far has been like that feeling of like a tv movie and this uh you know like it or not does at least have like a cinematic quality to it and i think i mean we'll get into it but i think it's yeah it's definitely interesting to compare like this isn't something that's aiming at like a mid-tier it's trying to be oscar worthy so anyway look we're talking about hillbilly allergy which was released in 2020 uh directed by ron howard starring amy adams glenn close gabriel Basso, Haley Bennett, and Frida Pinto, and uh, based on the JD Vance book, based on real life. Um, yeah. <laughs> we. Uh, would you like to hear the letterboxed logline for this film? Hit me with it. Inspired by a true story, three generations in the making, an urgent phone call pulls a Yule. Uh, uh, I nearly said a Yule law. <laughs> <laughs> an urgent phone call pulls start- a Yule log back to his hometown. <laughs> I saw Christmas on the mind. <laughs> yeah, it's about the magical story of an anthropomorphic yeah. gulag. 
What and if we rewrote you, it like that? Like just all of this one mistake. We're like we're rewriting this movie to be about an anthropomorphic yeah. Yule log. I thought, I thought the biggest issue with this film is they didn't really get into like how he's a Yule log. <laughs> he was just a regular. Yeah, they guy. just kind of take it for granted. And I wanted a little bit more backstory as to why that is. <laughs> all right, anyway. I heard your phone call. I heard your phone call pulls a Yale law student back to his Ohio hometown, <laughs> where he reflects on three generations of family history and his own future well i think that pretty much sums it up to be fair yeah i mean that's it (laughs) yeah i mean so when i read this before watching the film though i imagined a much more distinct way of telling those three generation stories Mm -hmm. as in like they would be three distinct narratives that we are being offered and that is not what we get it's something that's a little messier than that but I, before we get into all that, why don't we talk about the stuff we liked about this film? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and and this has already kind of been said in the discourse around this movie, but I have to admit, I think the performances of the lead actors are really, really well done. Um, yes. You know, do I feel like it is kind of, you know, like, again, I'm sorry to be using this term, but I don't think anybody's come up with anything better than it um so far like like do the parts of um jd vance's mother bev and his grandmother uh like feel like oscar bait roles like about you know pretty people making themselves look ugly um yes but do they do (laughs) it really well i think so like yeah <laughs> it's it's a strange one i i i felt that yeah ev- everyone not just those two roles but everyone like Haley bennett's role is well cast uh yeah frida absolutely. pinto i thought did a good job mm-hmm. like these are all they were all like good choices for the role that was given and also it was like that rare thing where i got to the end and they showed the like pictures of who they were mm-hmm. like the real people and i was like oh yeah that kind of adds up <laughs> like it yeah, was really interesting they actually really <laughs> looked like the real people and i also exactly. want to give a shout yeah. out to young jd vance owen astalos because i thought is i thought it was a great performance um yes. as yeah. you know this this young kid who's just you know, awkward and a little out of place and is just trying to feel less alone, but kind of gets roped into the wrong crowd. And I thought, you know, everything about his performance felt really tender and real. And I think that, you know, that that's key. Like if that performance wasn't good or didn't deliver or didn't feel honest, like then you'd really have this film fall apart. So nice job, Owen. Yeah, and actually like in terms of screen time, pretty much equal billing with gabriel basso right of like you know how how much of the story they had to carry so yeah definitely yeah a really solid performance and again like yeah i the film i don't think it can really get away from like the sort of oscar bait elements of it and i think that was part of the performance as well and obviously you saw that in the nominations that amy adams and glenn close got but yeah, but they're also just like they are undeniably like entertaining people to watch, and they and they brought something interesting to the roles. So it's yeah, I, if there is a positive to pull out of this, it's it's a well acted film. And actually, I would say, I mean, you know, Ron Howard is he, it's competently directed. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's not interestingly directed. It's very boringly directed. Yeah, but it's competently put together. It makes sense. It, it flows um there, there is a, this kind of like distinction but also visual harmony between the like sort of past and present so it doesn't have to like keep reminding us that we're in one and then we're in the other because it just shows us that and that's not necessarily easy to do but as we'll get into ron howard also does nothing interesting with this film and that's yeah. why it was never going to be the sort of oscar bait that that it sort of professed to be beforehand i think yeah and i don't like and here's the thing like ron howard is like can direct things in an interesting compelling way it's not like oh this is just a style i mean off the top of my head i mean i i think of uh um the underrated rush from 2013 um yeah which is uh, about like the you know these two formula one drivers who have a, a rivalry um, starring like Chris Hemsworth before he was like like really a huge star, and of course King Daniel Bruhl, um, <laughs> who to me can do no wrong, um, and that was like you know it was really compelling to watch, and you know it's just I mean it really harnessed that kind of 
frenetic energy of, um, you know, Formula One race car driving. Um, yes. But then contrast it with something like Hillbilly Elegy that, again, like, you know, there are some cinematic touches and you can tell that Ron Howard is a person that has that kind of eye. But I wanted it to have a little bit more definition or to, like, feel like it had a little bit more of a strategy of how it was presenting things to us. Like, I felt like I couldn't decide between whether it wanted to be, like, documentary style or if it wanted to be more cinematic. And and the result is something that's a, a little muddled. But, yeah, by no means is, is Ron Howard an incompetent director. Like, I think that's kind of... And that's kind of the strange thing about this film that... Like from a from a technical standpoint, like it like it's a well made film. I think you know I think it has a high production value and it has you know talented actors. Um, but there's still some things about. I think really my my main gripe is yes, like I, I wanted a more distinct and defined directorial style and voice for this film. Um, but also I think just the construction of the story and perhaps like, you know, this is part of the issue of adapting um, stories from books and especially stories from memoirs. It can be extremely challenging to make that transition to really a completely different medium because you're going from one medium, you know, a, a written narrative that it's it's focuses on you know a, a lot more introspection and um of course you know describing moments in detail as opposed to um you know narrative film where the the main sense is totally different you know then the story becomes visually focused and uh you know usually from a more um objective point of view like you know the camera becomes this objective narrator and we're not necessarily privy to the the thoughts of characters experiencing um the events of the story uh we usually don't get you know moments to kind of pick apart an incident the way you can in a novel or a memoir um and you know there are some films and filmmakers that do like play around with that um but you know that's not the that's not the style that's that's chosen here, and I think usually it doesn't work in a film. I think it takes a lot of like, um, takes a lot of you know ingenuity and like originality of thought, and really playing around with the medium in order to make that kind of like to translate that kind of introspection and um, you know expanding on detail that's characteristic of um, you know narrative um, books. Um, and translating it to film. And I don't think it necessarily needed it here, but I think, you know, a lot is lost. And, and there are definitely issues with um, the original memoir, but, but we can, we can get yeah. into that well, in another moment. We'll get into that. But I, and I think what you, what you mentioned there about what, what the camera becomes as opposed to what a memoir is, like the memoir is obviously told f from the perspective of J.D. Vance. And the issue here with Ron Howard's direction, I mean, you know, Ron Howard is like this great journeyman director, right? He's, and which is like a rare breed in Hollywood these days. He's just a safe mm -hmm. pair of hands that can get a film made. Um, but yeah, what what it lacks is actually that, that, that narrative focus um, or of the camera is is it lacks anything subjective it, it doesn't know what choices to make mm -hmm. uh, it just shows us what it what we need to see um, and actually I think what we'll get into and, and when, what we'll get into around the the original memoir right is actually like um, when you offer us like a, a narrative standpoint uh, you, it needs to be one that is sort of like subjective enough that like the, the film is making a decision mm -hmm. and and is like is is offering us uh its vision of something of that story of those characters of the sort of the choices made and this i would say didn't manage to do that and and it was it was just yeah everything was presented too plainly and too obviously for us to uh to have you know to begin to draw any actual thematic uh political social conclusions from mm -hmm. anything that was being shown to us and from any of the choices the characters were making and i would say the the release of the memoir did not make as big a splash over here as it did in america mm -hmm. and it obviously came at, at a pretty like 
important time and jd vance you know like sort of <laughs> since the release of the memoir uh well and, and like since this story happened you know like sort of his, his uh platform has become one that has like a very specific uh standpoint a very specific sort of political uh you know <laughs> yeah. i'm still dancing around it because I, I think probably it, it's better coming from you to talk about <laughs> sort of like the sort of cultural moment of like hillbilly elegy in the, the original yeah. memoir yeah well so uh for folks who are unfamiliar the original memoir that the film is based on is also titled hillbilly elegy um which came out in uh 2016 um, and is written by J.D. Vance, um, who is from, uh, or, you know, half of his family, as we, you know, you also learned in the film, is, uh, from Appalachia, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is from Appalachia, which is a, a region in, you know, the eastern U.S., and it goes from, well, I would, I guess, like, the, like, bottom of New York State to, like, northern Alabama, Georgia, and then, uh, uh, they're all kind of tied together by the Appalachian um, mountains. Um, but uh, it's also like a distinct cultural region. Um, but, but it has been like, I think, uh, you know, in like, you know, nationwide U.S. culture has been pretty um, maligned uh, over the years. Um, and this is due in part to, you know, systemic problems of, of poverty um, and, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, people who live in this region, uh, that they don't take care of themselves or, you know, uh, there's the stereotype of, um, which I think is referenced in the film that, you know, they have poor dental care. So, you know, that some of them are missing teeth or whatever. Um, but then also the other side of the stereotype is that these people are, you know, very independent, self-reliant, that they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, that they don't want, um, uh, you know, they don't want to be given, uh, like, handouts. And so, like, the idea of um, getting assistance from um, welfare or entitlement programs is, you know, pretty widely rejected. Um so there's, you know, those two sides of the, the stereotype and uh, there's the and the term hillbilly in, you know, in the title hillbilly elegy, um, which is often a derogatory term, um, you know, is usually in reference to people who live in Appalachia or sometimes even, you know, the Ozarks and that, you know, hillbillies are um you know, again, these similar stereotypes that they're uncultured or uneducated or, um, you know, that they, uh, you know, again, like, you know, this idea that they don't take care of themselves or, or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and of course, that's not a, a stereotype that like we endorse at all, but that's just what the stereotype yeah. is. Um, and so the title Hillbilly Elegy is kind of meant to be, you know, a little bit ironic, tongue in cheek, um, that it's kind of like this this tale of, you know, this region that um, once was, um, you know, thriving. And they kind of reference this with, like, you know, J.D. Vance's family's connection to Ohio, um, who's part of that area of the U.S. that really flourished um, industrially, um, especially after World War II, you know, doing things like building cars, um, which is now a region that is really struggling because the U.S. Um, is no longer and has not been for a long time the leader in that kind of, um, you know, industrial manufacturing. Um, so when Hillbilly Elegy came out in 2016, which, you know, I think we all know globally was politically a very, an especially turbulent year, um, you know, because it was also the year of the election of Donald Trump, um, the J.D. Vance's memoir was very well received um, on the right because it felt like for them it was like, wow, like somebody's finally, you know, clearly espousing the values of this um, of this culture and this people. And then on the left, it was praised because it seemed like, you know, he was writing this memoir kind of exposing the struggles that that these people are experiencing and that surely this will um turn a tide uh for uh the support of government programs that can help pull these people out of poverty um 
and uh, and over time um, that impression changed. Um, I think he's still very much a, a darling of the right. Um, and uh, I mean, J.D. Vance is a registered Republican, and he's currently um, running to get the Republican nomination uh, for Senate in Ohio to replace um, longtime Senator Rob Portman, um, who has been known as uh, generally as a moderate. Um, and I would definitely say that Vance is, is to for sure to the right of Portman. So this is kind of also gesturing towards this, um, you know, uh, I think uh, even global shift towards uh, the right politically um, in in recent years. Um, and I mean, he's also J.D. Vance has also associated himself with this group of right wingers in the U.S. of right wing politicians in the U.S. Um, that you know have I mean that that have undemocratic leanings, right? So, like for example, like you know, just the other day, he falsely claimed that dozens of jailed Capitol protesters, um, you know, who uh, um, participated in the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of 2021, that they haven't been charged with a crime, which is just a lie, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and all, you know, there's this group of Republican politicians or, you know, ultra conservative right leaning politicians um, that participate in this kind of behavior of like lying um, about things that happened that we literally all saw on TV um, and, you know, kind of just trying to undermine um, objections to the fact that uh, there's a large portion of Americans that now, you know, have openly voiced undemocratic leanings. So there's, you know, so there's a lot politically around his memoir, you know, in you know retrospect, and to this film having come out in 2020, which also was you know still was a very politically tumultuous year, um, that I think you know is not really addressed at all, um, which I think not only like makes the film kind of bland, but I think is also a little I think it's a little disingenuous um, that it kind of wants us to see like the film wants us to see hillbilly elegy as this like apolitical feel-good story about a guy pulling himself up by his bootstraps you know in spite of um all of the the challenges that he's faced but there's this you know but still like you know nothing is made in a vacuum right so you know yeah. this film is still released in this political climate and undoubtedly it's that narrative is going to be used to reinforce um, a lot of like the false narratives that uh, perpetuated both in the memoir and in the film. Right, right. Well, because there's a lot to sort of suggest that, that J.D. Vance was at least present for a lot of the making of the film and his family were present and they were and actually they were on set for some of it. Right. And and so like there is that presence there. And I think like the very underpinning of the story like you say is a story about a guy pulling himself up by his bootstraps and kind of escaping this past that he's reflecting upon and making a choice for himself to escape that past rather than continue within the cycle of uh you know all of these challenges that he's faced and that underpinning is is an ideological choice that is celebrated by jd vance and by the republican party and and like this idea of uh escaping poverty by your own means is championed uh as a by the sort of pe people on the, on the right politically and this film as you say it kind of it, it refuses to fully uh engage with and endorse that but actually it also refuses to make comment on it and in doing so uh it allows that underpinning of a story of a, a guy pulling himself up by his bootstraps to become pretty much i would say the only thematic material of the film of this idea of like es escaping uh, a troubled past that becomes the thematic material which i would say and uh, i mean obviously i have i do have left-leaning biases but i would say is like a, one a pretty problematic film to make but two uh you know the sort of bigger uh, cultural crime here is uh it made for a really boring story <laughs> <laughs> yeah like not only 
not only did you make like an ideologically troubled film, it wasn't even entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Well, because because the trouble with that ideology is one, it's a story we've seen a million times. Like Rags to Riches is not new or interesting, and this isn't a new take on that, right? Uh, but also the trouble with that ideology is like the kind of people that believe that stuff, I think are pretty boring people because they're just like, oh yeah, the way we're going to fix the world is I'm just going to work really hard at being a lawyer or whatever. <laughs> it's right. just like, okay, like, this is so uninteresting. Yeah, like I guess everything's <laughs> also, just like, going to stay the same, except you'll so also be a well, lawyer. But <laughs> The stuff he like the stuff in the film that is always shown as like JD Vance like um excelling academically and stuff is him doing maths and it's yeah. like <laughs> the dude the dude that winds hey, up becoming a like, lawyer. You remember he... math? You remember math was hard? <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly. It's um as I don't know, it's it yeah. It's so I think yeah, that cultural background's really important. And I think that's a really important sort of uh place to start to talk about this film from especially with the changes that i think are worth making and i think the key there right is as we've talked about is this film is underpinning itself with a thematic material that is is uninteresting and shallow and actually what it misses or at least what i think it misses and this is kind of my suggestion of what we should do with the film is is that what's on offer here is a film that is about second chances and and it's it touches on it but it doesn't actually uh, ever make the most of that as as a kind of like as thematic material to sort of like explore and understand right. because this this is a film about second chances. It's a film about uh, JD Vance's mother being offered second chances over and over again and never making use of them. It's a film about JD Vance himself being given a second chance by the fact that he gets looked after by his grandmother and she pushes him to work hard. And it's a film as well about a system that without the help of people around you, uh, a system that doesn't offer you second chances mm-hmm. uh, in and of itself. It's, and, and that to me is more interesting. And that to me also would allow this film, because you, you mentioned before about the film kind of touches on like the challenges that someone like J.D. Vance faced growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of the actual societal challenges, the actual systemic issues that you are facing as someone who is growing up in, in a poor family, uh, it never goes far enough to actually show us what those are and why they stop right. you from doing w- what you want to do. I mean, I think it starts to, you know, there are, there are moments of that, like, for example, um, you know, J.D. Vance's mother, Bev, played by Amy Adams, you know, uh, she has a, a serious drug problem. She's a- addicted to, we later find that she is addicted to heroin um, after, you know, and, and it, it's an addiction that begins as a, an opioid um addiction which is a huge problem in the united states like it's a massive widespread um epidemic of people getting addicted to opioids um which you know is a there's a whole whole host of really despicable origins to that you know there is certainly a profit motive um which is really disgusting behind getting people addicted to opioid pain medication but you know there's a very it's a very big plot point that she um, you know, relapses uh, and, uh, you know, starts using again and is brought to the hospital and they have to release her as soon as she's stable because she doesn't have insurance. Um, and then there's this whole, uh, you know, story plot line of J.D. Vance trying to get his mother into rehab or at least into a safe place so that he can go back to uh, New Haven for uh, a job interview um, with a law firm. Uh, and the whole time I'm thinking, you know, because I'm, I'm watching this with the outside context of knowing that, you know, J.D. Vance is now politically very conservative um, and generally, yeah. in, you know, in the U.S., conservatives are very opposed to, um, you know, government help or spending any money on, um, you know, in, in government on, you know, programs to really to help people and i'm sure if you ask them they they would agree you know because there's this whole like personal responsibility narrative that a lot of them subscribe to but the whole time i'm watching that i'm like you know what would sure have helped her out in this situation 
if if she had health insurance that she didn't have to like yeah. have a have a job to have that she could just be given the medical care that she needed <laughs> and yeah. that it like that would just wouldn't like it just wouldn't be a plot point exactly if, then you could you know, go to your interview and you wouldn't have to worry about it right because then she would be just be taken care of right and so then yeah, you're kind of yeah. like there's this cognitive dissonance that I don't think you can really escape <laughs> with the outside context of like how can you have <laughs> gone through this experience and still think that like like you really think that your mom deserved to have to hop around from place to place yes. that you had to pay out of your own pocket with your already limited funds because you're being already being sucked dry by your law school. Well, that's that's it, right? He's, he's he, like, there's a scene in which he's maxing out credit cards, and again, like you're you're absolutely right. Like the opioid epidemic's a big issue in America and one that is barely touched on. There's a scene in which he maxes out these two credit cards, and like debt is the other like right. really big issue with like people yeah. who are from sort of uh, like you know more deprived areas in America. And it's Especially like, at and, that and, time. And here in the UK. Where it's yeah, set. like debt. You know, 2010, is... that was, exactly. I mean, that was the thing. Um, <laughs> for folks who have uh, never seen uh, the uh, game show Baggage, um, hosted by Jerry Springer, it's a game show, a dating game show in which the contestants are like chosen for a date based off of like whatever their personal baggage in a relationship would be. So it's revealed <laughs> up front. Um and that it, they started filming it, I think, in like 2010. And so, because it was yeah. like so close to like the 2008 financial crisis and like, you know, student debt and the housing bubble popping, like always in yeah. every episode, there's one person who's like, I'm in massive debt. And like, that's their baggage <laughs> because everybody oh, was in man. debt at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're like and systemic that, what, problems that, you know, government yeah. probably could step in and help with. But. You know, yeah, they're not being handled yeah. because everybody has to, you know, it's this idea that everybody has to, you know, do everything for themselves, but not really reckoning reckoning with the reality, which is that there is a limit to what an individual can do for themselves in yeah, that in environment and under those conditions. Like you will you will hit a limit. This idea that like absolute freedom is uh, people making all of these choices for themselves. And it's, I guess it's not even about like government taking those choices away, but it's just like stuff where there shouldn't have to be a choice, like stuff mm-hmm. like healthcare. Right. <laughs> and things like it took for Bev, like it becomes a choice. Do I spend out this amount of money that I have uh, on healthcare or do I spend it on things that I, you know, need and want more immediately than healthcare? Like, you know, there's this idea that, you know, basically if you are poor, you have to be healthy because if you're not healthy, mm-hmm. you're really screwed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because, because that's something you gotta, you gotta spend out on. Yeah. But it's this idea that like absolute freedom is the choice to get health insurance, but that's uh, completely bizarre because you can't be free without health insurance. Right. Because you're worried about your health. It's, it's right. this kind of bizarre, like paradoxical thinking that I think uh, is like very prevalent on the right, particularly in America where you just don't like over here, like, you know, if the conservatives, even if I, ideologically they're opposed to the nhs if they ever actually like said anything against the nhs uh they would just be like completely decimated in the polls because people <laughs> love the fact that we don't pay for healthcare. like that's just a good thing um and it's just so funny that um i mean here like you know especially through the pandemic and stuff like the conservatives have like used the nhs like literally a socialist uh <laughs> you know mm-hmm. construction to kind of like beef up their own uh, political agenda uh, which is like a kind of bizarre thing of like people who are sort of on paper ideologically opposed to a sort of a socialist uh structure then also using it to sort of benefit themselves politically mm-hmm. but you know it's it's again I, I guess this is just like a microcosm of all the things that are going on in this film right of like right. Th- there are these little moments that are kind of like pointing out these issues but never exploring them never uh, understanding them never trying to show what a real barrier they are like he maxes out his credit cards and then what well then he just goes back to college gets the job he wanted and at the end we just get a title card thing saying that he became a lawyer and he's happy now so you know like we never we never see we never see the finally happiness through work exactly yeah and so we never see the consequence of these things and and that again just is just used to sort of like perpetuate this idea that if i just work hard enough then i'll stop being poor right and it never (laughs) even entertains the possibility of like well what if he didn't get the job 
Like, yeah. and he would still yeah. have maxed out credit cards. And he, like, mentions it in passing, like, to his sister, like, what if I go all the way up there and I don't even get the job? But he doesn't even, like, think about, like, he doesn't even address, like, well, then I would still have a bunch of maxed out credit cards and, a, you know, yeah, a tanked yeah. credit score. And, like, now how am I ever going to get a loan or anything? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's this idea as well. It's this bizarre <laughs> thing where it's like um, you have to think about how how you're going to make it seem to a bank that you're able to get a loan because it just like society for people who can't pay their way uh immediately uh comes from like well then i i'll have to get a loan which is just a bizarre like backward way of thinking about how our society works right surely there should be another option where you can go and ask for help and you get help instead of a loan <laughs> um yeah. it's yeah it's this bizarre thing as well the film just does not entertain these these ideas whatsoever because um because the story is a story of a guy who believes that the only reason he made it is because he's the one that worked hard and the only reason his mom didn't make it is because she didn't work hard and she made the wrong choices um and <laughs> yeah i don't, right. I don't know i could i could never subscribe to that as a view i find that a really difficult thing to wrestle with um and the film obviously that's the thing right is the film finds it difficult to wrestle with because the film never fully endorses that as a viewpoint it never says that he should hate his mom and and care only for himself but that is also what the story is kind of about mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of bizarre um it it, it, it it in some ways it would be a more interesting film if it lent heavily into it sort of like right-wing origins because at least then it would be saying something right you know what I mean? like, at least like if that's what you think like just double down on it yeah, you know, it's yeah. fine yeah yeah and people can have different um, opinions on things and i may like you know strongly disagree with it but at least you have an opinion it just yes, like it yes. wants to it it kind of it wants to have it both ways that it wants to be able to be this like feel good story that can appeal to everybody but still be you, you know this uh kind of hollow all american narrative of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps but you yes. know i would rather that it just pick one just pick one <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of trying to have it both look, ways. With with our own sensibilities in the mix here, you know, I talked I talked about a little bit before about like I I believe that this is a film about second chances and actually like what gets J D Vance into uh, Yale in the end or like what it seemed to be is the second chance of his grandmother, like looking after him and like pushing him to work hard, mm-hmm. which to me like again, uh, you know the 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 perfect way of creating cinema is you show me something specific to tell me something general right and so yeah. showing us the specific thing of a the the grandma's the grandma being the one who intervenes and pushes him to make the correct choices surely that is a a specific <laughs> thing that tells us generally when there is intervention to help people make the correct choices people do better right <laughs> like yeah like so, he like... only succeeds because someone helped him yeah, and it, exactly. like the film just totally glosses over that. I'm like, that's yes. it. Like, that's the whole point that you need yeah. somebody. <laughs> like, yeah, like his his grandmother is the one who's saying, like, screw it. Like, I'm gonna be the adult here, and I'm gonna, you know, extend myself to do right by this kid because he needs help, yeah. and no one is giving him the help that he needs. And that's the yes. only reason. That's the only difference between that kid potentially going down the same road as his mother and becoming an you know an opioid addict or whatever uh, yeah. to going to Yale law school i mean she buys him the graphing calculator that he yes. felt desperate enough to have to steal i mean that's yes. like wh- that's a huge low point but also like yeah. the lesson of being able to graciously accept help because that kid like young jd vance feels driven to have to do that to have to steal because which also like stealing is like totally antithetical to the values of 
Appalachia. You know, it's pulling yourself up by your bootstrap and doing it the right way and through yeah, hard the work, way, yeah. not by stealing yeah. and being honest. And so now, and like the film never kind of like explores the, that difference and just like, oh, like what? How poor for this kid that you know he's stealing? Like things are real bad there. But it never, you know, never differentiates that between like the like the the real core values of that region. But he's driven to steal because he doesn't feel like he can ask for help or accept yeah. it you know like yeah. I, I think you know i was thinking during the scene um you know before where you know his he's kind of sort of being chewed out by his math teacher um to say like uh you know listen you're you're failing and if you keep up like this you're gonna you're gonna fail the course like you need to you need to focus and you're a smart kid so i know you can do it and that's generally the yeah. conversation and you know he knows he needs to get a graphing calculator for his math class but you know and i think of you know if i had been in that situation and again like you know probably the the values are are different and you know there's a different cultural comfort with asking for help but i think like man this could have been so different if he would have been honest with his teacher and said like listen i can't afford a graphing calculator and i don't know what i'm gonna do um yeah but then you know and so he's driven to steal because he thinks like you know I, I can't ask for help because that's that's the culture. Like, I have to do this myself. But then, you know, does something that is still antithetical to those values because then he's not getting that calculator through hard work. He's getting it through dishonesty. And he doesn't even succeed because he's a kid and he's not he's not good at deception. <laughs> but then, you know, then, of course, like, I mean, that kind of as a, a microcosm, like, even that event that, like, would have been amazing as just a short film yeah like that well, that in and of itself it, yeah. that finally then he gets the help from his grandmother which he still has difficulty accepting he even throws the calculator yes. out the window he still doesn't want yeah. her help but she puts her foot down and says like you're gonna get that calculator or i, yeah. I never want to see you again I, look that's and that's the that's exactly it is that you're, you're you're so right that that is a microcosm of what this film could have been and again, like the way you've described it is how that should have played out in that like, those are the scenes, those are the beats of that like small part of the narrative. But it's never made clear to us that like the point is, is there is a financial barrier to this boy. He is forced to go against like all of the moral teachings that he, he understands, right? In order to get the thing required to overcome that barrier. Someone offers him the help. He struggles to take that help. But... That in them putting their foot down and giving that help, it gives him a second chance. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the second chance being, I don't have to steal, I don't have to fail maths, I, you know, I don't have to, um, I don't have to continue to make the the wrong choices in order to achieve what I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that's absolutely that is a um, yeah, that is a sort of like microcosm of what this narrative should have been. Of like, this is a story about people. Uh, who are forced to make what we consider the wrong choices. You know, I'm saying that in inverted commas. Mm -hmm. People forced to make those choices and then being offered second chances and the difference the second chance makes, right? And actually, what's offered by the, the narrative of Bev is a, a sort of nuanced look at that because she is someone that's offered second chances over and over, or supposedly, although we never actually see the second chances she's offered over and over again. But... You know, we're told she's offered second chances over and over again, but she continues to make the wrong choices. Now, the thing that this this film could have helped us understand is why does she continue to make the wrong choices? And the reason is because she continues to be in a society that doesn't allow her to break out of that cycle of wrong choices. And, and so even the second chances she's given aren't good enough. There needs to be a greater amount of intervention, you know? And, and that's, again, this is... The, the film has all of these things there, but it's just not willing to bring them to the forefront because they they show that intervention, that help, that asking for help, that being offered support and that support being given to people is a thing that helps people succeed. And it's not people, you know, by their own like sheer will pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and thinking only for themselves and making the choices for themselves right and and you know I, I think ideologically like it doesn't even need to be that oh you know if only these people would accept government handouts like they like they would like it doesn't even have to be that it can just be no 
you know, if only these characters, you know, could learn how to accept help from their own community, right? So it's not even like, oh, they need handouts or entitlements to succeed. It's rather, you know, a community can lift itself up. Yeah. And that's something that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, super strongly political. I mean, you know, I think I personally yeah. think all art is inherently political. Right. But if you want to make it something that is palatable to people across a political, the political spectrum, especially in the United States, like I think that is a theme that is something that can resonate with everyone. You know, the idea that yeah. people, families, neighbors can help each other and it doesn't necessarily have to come from the outside but you know it's someone from within his own family his grandmother who is the yes, catalyst yeah. to help him succeed and and move beyond yeah. this um yeah you know it doesn't have to I, be you know it's not like oh well now all of a sudden the government has come in and everything's fine it doesn't have to be well, that's that it. yeah yeah but, yeah, you know, yeah yeah and, well, and, and that, kind that of, would be yeah. dishonest right because that's mm-hmm. not what the american government currently offers right like, even if we think it should be like it's not and also the worst thing this film could do is talk down to people yeah absolutely. from that region right but i think yeah the point you're making there is absolutely correct is like that offers um textually you know presented to us is a story about a community coming together to uh, to sort of elevate each other but subtextually it's it's showing us that intervention and support is what's required to allow for social mobility you know that's and and that's mm-hmm. the film currently doesn't operate at two levels it just shows us the text and and again this is an issue we've talked about all season is text without subtext mm-hmm. <laughs> and um the only subtext that can be found is one that is uh as we've already talked about a kind of like pretty thwarted uh ideological one that mm-hmm. <laughs> i find it very hard to agree with <laughs> yeah and and i think you know i'm kind of thinking the film it's a wonderful life kind of pops into my head because yes i mean i mean and i think you know the situation of like filmmakers ideology is is very different like frank capra like i think was very much you know more left-leaning kind of almost populist kind of filmmaker but you know it's a wonderful life you know again it's this story of of a of a man who is trying to escape his hometown um and not quite succeeding and especially not succeeding on his own and he has this longing to see the world and you know do like have all of these um incredible adventures and he just keeps getting pulled back in by the needs of his family and his community but then at the end he this this community are the very people who save him um and make him realize how much he actually has um and are the thing that keep him from literally killing himself yeah um and so that i think like you know i think i personally interpret it's a wonderful life to very much be you know like interpreted as like a a left-leaning kind of film but aside from that kind of ideology i think it's also a very you know communalist type of film and i think hillbilly elegy is reaching towards that but i think it does it only doesn't because of the you know established ideology of the author of the source material like if i i think that if jd vance had not become you know a a, like a a right-wing darling i think this movie would have had the freedom to tell a more uh not only entertaining but more richly textured story i think it's limited because it's trying to fit itself into a particular box of interpretation but by by forcing itself into that box it misses out on some very obvious you know subtext and narrative parallels i mean you know we we you know i think a, a lot of the um, you know, rewriting that we've done this episode has been, you know, sort of teasing out what those themes are and 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 also doing that through um, specific moments. But I think in terms of like how we would rearrange this on a more like on a wider structural level, I think, you know, what you were saying before about um, more clearly establishing 
the parallels between these three generations, I think, would have also illustrated those, you know, themes more clearly, for example. Like, I think, you know, I think it was an interesting choice to have, like, this whole moment of J.D. Vance trying to get back to New Haven for a job interview as the frame narrative. But honestly, I would have done away with that entirely and have the film just be these three parallel narratives so that we're the thing that thing that we're jumping back and forth in time between is like you could even or you could even make it too like just make it you know uh uh mama uh his grandmother uh you know as a younger woman with younger bev um and you know kind of maybe give us a little bit insight of insight into how mama like developed her values and how she was and like actually see her um as as a as a younger mother um with bev when she's like pretty much like in her prime you know salutatorian of her high school class like when she has this promise and how that kind of devolves and parallel that with you know bev after she you know has had jd and now he's you know a a a teenager and have the and 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 don't even give us from the beginning like oh that he eventually gets into yale and that he's you know has these um you know like warring allegiances between his own future and um you know his family like just just parallel him parallel jd with bev and parallel bev with mama and show us how those two um, journeys differ because of the way that they, like, you know, Bev and JD, how they handle being offered help differently. And that's going to yeah. be the thing that really teases out that theme. Well, I think the, 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 the third layer I would add is keeping this kind of framing narrative we've got, but starting it from like, him starting at Yale and telling a longer mm, story over earlier. a number of years of like him arriving at Yale, him experiencing like, you know, all of those sort of cultural differences that he struggles to fit in because of this and that. And then him learning at Yale to ask for help. Mm. And and then you have him go back to his hometown and the, your third act is him deciding that he's going to go to that job interview whilst also seeing like... A, a, understanding and realizing that the only reason he's able to do that is because of the second chances he's been offered along the way um and 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 so like again i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with him at the end deciding that he's not gonna you know he's gonna put his mother in this motel and make the decision to go to the job interview i don't think there's something necessarily wrong with that Mm -hmm. because our character doesn't have to be perfect yeah but i think it has to come at the price of him understanding the second chances he was offered and 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 realizing that he has to take his second chance mm-hmm. um this time you know at at the expense of leaving his mother in this motel and actually yeah. maybe you have a scene between them where she kind of gives him her blessing to go and do that you know mm-hmm. and it's her saying look i i wasn't able to get the support i needed you were you go make the most of it cuz you were given the support mm-hmm. that's that's and that's suddenly that's a whole other angle on this story that we've been presented. It's not he makes the the difficult decision to leave his mother behind so that he can make the most of what he's built. It's he realizes that he's been given this by all the people around him, including his mother, who he yeah. sees as this imperfect woman, but actually she's still willing to give him the support to to you know for him to make the choices he wants to make. Yeah, and I think absolutely. there's there is still something to get out of that third layer, I guess. Um, and 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 there, and I think actually, if anything, it maybe potentially offers us a little bit more nuance where it's sort of like it's not as simple as um with support and with second chances uh you do better but it's mm-hmm. more like that still comes at a price at a cost yeah um but it, but it's but the result is better yeah i agree and i think also i think that also gives us the opportunity to make bev a more complicated character than i think she was yeah. in, in 
the actual uh, version of the film where I think she is. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like she is a very imperfect person and there's a lot of things that she does that I think are, you know, approaching unforgivable. I mean, you know, she is, a, you know, she has moments where she is abusive and, yes, um, yes. you know, I mean, she, you know, there's a scene where they're in uh, a car together and she starts speeding. Um, and at any moment she could, you know, just sort of spin out and, um, they're going so fast that surely if they hit anything, they would probably die on impact. Um, you know, and, and so, and, you know, and she's has like, she's by no means, uh, you know, a perfect mother or a perfect person. And she is really struggling with this, this addiction, um, that is, you know, destroying her relationships and but you know again i do also want to add the caveat that i I don't believe that drug addiction is a moral failing um and that it is a disease but you know having that you know uh, like as you're saying like having that you know come at the end and having this moment where you know he can understand that you know he is given a second chance but it's coming at a price i think that also gives us the opportunity to see her as just like less evil and just more complicated um yeah that you know like she's you know trying to reckon with this past and you know she hasn't been perfect but that you know she does still want the best for her son um and that you know it's not just a matter of like like she's not just there because she refused help but that you know there's a there's a whole myriad of other circumstances that led her to this point but she is aware enough that she can let that go and and in a sense kind of make this sacrifice um, so that her son can have a better life, which I think is, you know, a little bit more textured um, than just, you know, I think the way that the film presents her now and, and the way that the film might still present her if we didn't have that that third layer of like, well, Bev is evil because she's addicted to drugs. Like that's, <laughs> you know, but I think it's yeah. both like, you know, disingenuous and also like pretty like facile like i don't think that yeah that's like no that's a, not, a, a, like an interesting portrayal of a character no not at all not at all and i, I guess that's what we we've kind of been saying and i think perhaps this is the moment where we begin to to wrap up mm-hmm. uh is that like this part of the reason this film is boring is because of its moral underpinnings right mm. and its ideological yeah. underpinnings and so like the reason we've talked a lot about ideology i think is because um th- there is a more interesting opportunity for thematic material to be explored that is ideologically different to this film um but is but is like offers a far more interesting depiction of american society today Mm -hmm. and and so like that's i i guess i just want to say that because it's sort of i i guess the worry is like it sounds a lot like we're just rewriting a film uh, to fit our <laughs> own viewpoint. And there is, and there's a bit of that, I guess, like we do come from our own biases, Sure, but actually like the point is like, this is rewriting because the, the current like point of this film is a boring one. Yeah. <laughs> it's one that do- doesn't, uh, it doesn't make the most of the setting of the characters of the story. And mm-hmm. actually the, I guess the point we're making is that actually there is a story here. And I think it's a wonderful life is a, a beautiful parallel to make because there's a story here that is that but with a modern edge mm-hmm. and with a slightly different twist of of the sort of sacrifice that has to be made at the end mm-hmm. and there's something a little more sort of tragic in that as well sort of to add a sort of texture to it mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i don't know i i yeah i just thought i'd <laughs> make that point because there's yeah, a lot absolutely. of talk in this episode about ideology but that is that is one of the failings of this film and and the biggest crime this film makes for me is being incredibly boring <laughs> yeah. and uh, and that part of that is because of the, the it, it it refuses to subscribe to an ideology and when it does it makes the least interesting choices possible um which is yeah not good <laughs> yeah and it's the film is is what like two hours maybe a little bit longer than that oh it's two hours 15 oh it's two, oh man it's two hours and 15 I, I minutes like, and yeah. i think like if you're gonna make a film that's that long oh okay on on uh imdb it's telling me it's in an hour and 56 but um oh. man it sure did feel like two hours and 15 <laughs> yeah. i just think it, you know for whatever amount of time that you are asking me to you know view your film instead of doing other things like you gotta make it interesting like how dare you make yeah. me, you know how dare you ask me to like spend two hours of my life watching this and you won't even say anything remotely interesting i also think you know and again we're talking about ideology too because i think you know and it like the film briefly touches on this but kind of like you know i think there's a sense that you know that the film doesn't really 
you know, explore the way it should of like, you know, that these, it, it kind of portrays these values of like, you know, self-sufficiency and independence as being totally unique to this region. And I don't, yeah. and I think that that is, that's really unfair. You know, I, I think there's an opportunity yeah. also, you know, in showing this community and in showing this culture that there's more that we have in common you know, than we might think. Um, yes. You know, I think it's a very just American value uh, to be independent, to try yeah. to do as yeah. much as you can, you know, through through hard work and, and through perseverance. Um, and, you know, there's like this brief moment where uh, Mamaw says like, you know, when, when, uh, when her husband has died and the hearse is going through the town that, folks who i think may not even know them are, are taking off their hats and you know jd asks like why you know why are they why are they doing that and she says you know because because we're hill people honey like we respect our dead and i i yeah. get where that's coming from but like you know other other communities <laughs> do that too um I get, I, yeah you again, know there's a lost opportunity for seeing like you know it like wants to like it has again like ideologically wants to reinforce difference as kind of this this separating uh, factor, yeah. as this this separating force, rather than um, you know using difference as a way to like emphasize like uniqueness, but also recognizing where there are cultural similarities. And I I don't think like yeah, trying to use um, you know Appalachian culture as as a as a way to wedge them away from the rest of America yeah. is really fair. Yeah, absolutely. I, and and it's, again, it's that thing of show us the specific to tell us something about the general. If this film is only about people from Appalachia, then what does it have to offer anyone else? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it has to be about something more than that. Um, and I think it is, but it, 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 like you say, but it, it makes choices that, it that are... <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it yeah. should be, yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's look, glimmers of that, Harrison, but, you know, anyway, we, we, we've done, we've done it again. Okay? We've done it again. <laughs> we... <laughs> we've saved cinema. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and Ron Howard, especially you're welcome. Cause you should, you should know better, buddy. <laughs> Come on, bud. I know you can do better than that. You just needed to hear our encouraging voices. We believe yeah, in you. Yeah. You'll do better. He's actually going to remake, he's going to remake Kill Billy Elegy again. But yeah. just better. That that brings us on to. We'll make it brief this week because it's penultimate week. We'll get into it more yeah. next week, I guess. Um, yeah. What Harrison? What the heck is a Netflix original movie? What is a Netflix original movie? That's a great question. I mean, I think honestly, after viewing this, um, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit more cynical about what a netflix original film is and i think like it's yeah. kind of strange but it seems like you know ne netflix produced films like really their their only ideology or allegiance is just to either a i'm well not either i think their only their only goal is to just get eyeballs watching their their offerings um to you know make money and they want to do that in as many ways as possible. So, you know, they'll do yeah. everything from, you know, making teenage schlock, um, which is not inherently <laughs> bad. Um, I love, I love no. my, I love me a heaping helping of teenage schlock every once in a while. Um, <laughs> or like, you know, easily producible um, uh, Christmas films that are like take less time to make than, than they are in their runtime. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, and to you know these like attempts at prestige films where like oh well maybe we can get more people to watch it if it you know gets nominations for awards or maybe even wins them um yeah and they want to be feels both like, it's, like it's trying to get that twitter discourse going right? yeah like it's trying to get like that yeah which i think is a, a, like again a, like another set of eyeballs to watch your movies yeah. yeah that it doesn't even have to be good it just has to like get people looking at it um yes yeah and, and i i'm starting to feel more cynical about what <laughs> what a netflix uh, <laughs> produced and or distributed film really is yeah yeah I, I think the other lesson i've learned from this film about what a netflix movie is and and it, we've seen it like time and again this season is it offers us like 
a story but it doesn't actually take the time to think about what is behind that story Mm -hmm. what is the subtext of what it's saying and so many of these films it's like there is text but there is no subtext and so when you try and try and dig some kind of interpretation out of it Mm -hmm. um you you usually find something like this (laughs) pretty rotten to be honest (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i think i think it's um yeah we've seen that in so many of the films it is just that thing of like here is a movie ju- don't think about it <laughs> just watch it yeah just um, it makes sense if you don't think about it exactly <laughs> which is uh concerning because that's not the point of films but yeah. anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, well look hopefully uh people feel like that that did something to that film i mean hopefully you ha- you haven't seen the film that's what i hope for you um, <laughs> yeah just don't bother in the first place i found you know in a way i found this one like far less forgivable than a lot of the stuff we've seen recently because mm. there was just so much of it just felt like oh you've made the wrong decision here you've made the wrong decision here you should know better <laughs> it's just yeah. um yeah it's uh, it was a, a tough watch <laughs> that's why i thought it was two hours 15 it just felt right. so it long just feels, <laughs> yeah it feels very long okay harrison um where where can people find you online should they want to uh if you want to jack into the matrix and find me online um you can find me on uh instagram twitter and letterboxd at Hiya Harrison, uh, and and go and go and tweet or message at me there um, on any of those platforms. Uh, and Caleb, if if people want to uh, bleep blorp things at you in the information superhighway, <laughs> where can they find you? Uh, all of my ones and zeros can be found at Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, and, uh, and Letterboxd uh, at Caleb Lebster. That's C A L E B L E B S T E R. I don't understand how computers work, so I'm sorry. Me neither. <laughs> and I hope I never do. Yeah, me too. You know, I I was actually thinking recently. This is so off piste, but I was thinking recently about like you know I do um, some photography and things, and so do you. You've been and uh, and and so I've learned lots about that because I'm a nerd, and uh, and so I I have this like real oh, understanding. Yeah, I know. I have this like real understanding now of like how it is that we like capture light and create an image, and I and I find it fascinating. And then I and then the other day I like thought about uh, audio. And then I was like, man, I hope I never know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me enough so that I can edit a podcast episode. And after yeah, that, I exactly. don't want to hear it. Because I, I, I get how we capture light and, and create an image. But how we go about recording audio and then putting it out again the same thing and it sounds exactly the same man that blows my mind and we've been able to do it for like 150 years well no not quite 150 like 130 years i can't believe our podcast has been running for 130 years no not we not we personally (laughs) i mean as a humanity has been able to record audio for like at least a century well i mean us what yeah okay good We just, yeah, we have um, a whole back catalog of unreleased episodes that will never <laughs> see the light of day. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, that's been on my mind recently. It's just, mm. <laughs> so how do we do it? How do we record audio? No one tell me. I just want to <laughs> wonder wanna... <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, look, uh, next week is our final episode of Netflix season, and we're going to come back, and we're thinking we'll probably come back for some sort of smaller series of, like, three or four kind of th- things tied together some way um yeah i get we we have a lot of ideas for you know yeah uh, like you know more focused um uh collections of of films so hopefully doing shorter seasons will will help us do that so we can explore more but if if you have an idea for a season um or you know you want to tell us something else you can find us collectively at twitter and instagram at do try this pod um and uh yeah I'm, i'll read whatever ideas you have for a season it doesn't I mean we'll do it but <laughs> yeah and harrison won't so there you go <laughs> i'll just i'll close my eyes well look there we are we did there do we, try this at home we did do try this at home thanks again for joining <laughs> us and we'll we'll see you next time that was a maybe you like it production maybe you liked it maybe you didn't <laughs>